Praise the Lord this morning. It's a wonderful day to serve the Lord and be in his house, gathered in his presence. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I don't mind when the prophetic word precedes the preaching of the word. You heard the word this morning. Whatever God has for you, prepare the ground. Prepare the ground. Prepare what God has for you. It just happens to be that I'm speaking on the message, just a plowboy, just a plowboy. The Lord wants us to plow, to learn how to plow in his kingdom, bring forth life and understanding and substance. Let's begin with Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three prospective followers of Jesus Christ. The first volunteered himself. The next two were conscripted. The first one said, Lord, I'll follow you, 957. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said, young man, count the cost. If you want to follow me, count the cost. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you follow me, Jesus said, you will have no certain dwelling place in this life. You will be a stranger in this world, and this world will be a stranger to you. You may be despised and rejected of men, like Jesus was. You may be persecuted, and the world will hate you, the Bible says. Jesus said, count the cost. If you follow me, you'll always be on the move to the house of God to the prayer service, to the corporate gathering. You'll always be on the move for evangelism, for prayer and intercession, to touch the needy, to touch the lost, to be involved with the kingdom of God. Jesus said, count the cost. The second follower said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Get out of the death realm. Get into the life of God. He said, let me first bury my father. No, this, man's, this young man's father wasn't dead. Or he would have already been at the funeral. He was buying time. He was stalling. He was saying, I don't want to follow you yet. When my father dies, and hopefully my father lives to an old age, so I don't have to serve the Lord for a long time yet, but to give my main life, the strength of my youth, the pleasures of my youth, and my young adulthood, I'll give that to myself. And then sometime later, when my father dies, 
Then in my old age, maybe I'll be 60 or 70. My father passes away. Then I'll get serious about God. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. So let the spiritually dead, those who are spiritually dead, let them look after the affairs of the dead. But you get into some life here and follow me. An old age conversion. Well, one, hopefully you'll live to old age. And number two, conversion isn't a switch that you turn on and off at your own convenience. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the dead bury the dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. The third man. Now they said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first. Another one of the me first crowd. Let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This third follower as well was willing to stall. He wanted some time. He said, I, I want to go and be with my old friends. I want to keep the family tradition. He said, my family wouldn't be pleased. My friends wouldn't be pleased if I forsake all and become a Christ follower. If I give everything for the kingdom and serve the Lord. Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I have not come to send peace on earth, but a sword. I've come to divide families, those who will serve the Lord and those who want. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Some don't teach the free will of man, but it's obviously clearly in play. These young men could decide to follow or follow not. We don't know if they did. Hopefully they did, but the Bible doesn't reveal it. Now Jesus said in verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow of the kingdom and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We can't help but notice the connection to a certain passage in the Old Testament, to 1 Kings 19, having put his hand to the plow and turning back. A time when the old prophet of God, Elijah, threw a call of God on a young man, a mantle of ministry, and said, follow me. 1 Kings 19, 19, so Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment. And he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. A call of God, a mantle of ministry. A yell call of God on a young man, Elisha. And what would he do? Elisha was the son of a wealthy landowner. 
12 yoke of oxen, and he with the 12, he was overseeing the field. Elisha, we would say, had it made in the shade. All the financial status, conveniences of life, living in the beautiful land of Israel, temperate climate, corn, wine, and oil. What a blessing. This family had the best agricultural equipment you could buy. Not many people could afford 12 yoke of oxen, servants, people working the field. They had the best, we would say in our day, tractors and plows and combines that money could buy. And now came a decision. The mantle of God, the call of God to follow the Lord, to follow Elijah, to take on an anointing in your life, to take on a call of God. And Elisha, for a moment, didn't know what to do. It's like he was halting between two opinions, wanting to give himself to God, but still reserving his life unto himself. And the seconds went by, and all of a sudden, Elisha said, please let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. And Elisha, Elijah said to him, go back again. What have I done to you? The young Elisha put his hand to the plow of the kingdom and looked back. And Elijah, the prophet of God, discerned it. I love Barnes' notes. Elijah saying, go return to thy plowing. Why should you quit it? Why take leave of your friends and come with me? What have I done to you to require such a sacrifice? For as a sacrifice, you evidently regard it. Truly, I have done nothing to you. You can remain as you are. His words shook the young man. And it was time to consider the call of God. It was no time to stumble. There are moments in our life that change our whole life. Elisha's whole destiny, fruitfulness in God, his ministry, his eternal, his eternal reward, hinged on that very moment, those few seconds. And he came to his spiritual senses, and the Bible says that he slew his oxen and burned his plow, gave an offering and a final farewell feast at his house, and went on and followed Elijah, the man of God. No one, having put his hand to the plow and turning back, said Elijah, said Jesus, is fit for the kingdom of God. Just a plow boy. We have to plow. We have to plow. Number one today, plow in hope. Plow in hope. Whatever God has for you, Prepare the soil, prepare the ground, prepare the future. 1 Corinthians 9, 10. Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. What a promise of God. He who plows should plow in hope. 
that we can partner with God in this great ministry and receive that the Lord wants to give us his promise and open up the future to us. It's God who said, let him who plows plow in hope. We must plow in hope. We must plow in expectation. We must plow and prepare into the future in faith. We can't sit, can't sit passively at the side of the field in the shade and hope that something's going to come forth in the fruitfulness of God in our life and ministry and in the kingdom and house of God. We must plow in hope. Galatians 6 says, don't be weary in well-doing for in due season you will reap if you faint not. In due season, we will reap if we faint not. Psalm 126 says, He that goes forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bearing his harvest, bearing his sheaves with him, shall doubtless come. There is no doubt that if we go forth and plow and plant and water and move forth in the will of God, there is no doubt that we will come with harvest. We will come re with reward of what the Lord has put in before our lives. The Apostle Paul said, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. These are the promises of God. I'm amazed that more people aren't rushing to get in on this. To have God as our business partner in this life, in every endeavor that we do for his will and in the world to come, life eternal. Don't get too impatient. Harvest takes time in the Lord. There's harvest in the natural and harvest in the spiritual. In the natural, there is a predetermined harvest date in the seed. Jesus said four months till harvest. Most grain crops, four months. Vegetables, vineyards and olive yards. They all have a timing in the seed, but in the spiritual and in our ministries and in the call of God, it is not that way. The Lord knows the timing. And it may not be weeks or months. It may be years. It may be some decades. I don't understand how a Moses can live out in the wilderness for 40 years. In due season, we will reap if we faint not, if we faint not. And so we must commit ourselves to the process and say, God, you know the timing of the seed you put in my heart and I will be faithful to plow in hope until that seed manifests and matures. The kingdom principle is seed time and harvest. But it might better be said seed, time, and harvest. And that is up to the Lord in all of our lives. So we stay faithful. But you know what happens when harvest comes? All of a sudden, one day is better than a thousand. Sometimes one day is better than a thousand. 
You look at the growing process, the planting, you put seed in the ground and how long it takes, but in one day, you put in the sickle for the harvest and that's how God is. We may sow for many years. We may be faithful for many years and then in one day, everything changes. One day better than a thousand. Well, Proverbs 20 and verse four says, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Number two, plow your heart. Plow your heart. Hosea 10, 11 to 13, Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of the present culture. Uh, in the multitude of your mighty men, the celebrities and the media of the land, and what the world says. It's possible to plow wickedness and partake of iniquity. Plow wickedness and reap the fruit of lies. But we're on the other side. We're plowing righteousness. We're plowing for the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Judah shall plow praise. Judah praise shall plow. Jacob, the man of the spirit, shall break up the clods, break up the fallow ground. Praise plows, prayer plows. We plow our hearts as we praise, as we pray, as we worship God, as we intercede, we're plowing our hearts, we're opening up our hearts, opening the soil, breaking open the hardness, breaking open the uncultivated ground so the Lord can do a work in our lives. Let our praise cut deep into the soil of our hearts. When we praise the Lord, let's cut deep into the soil of our hearts with shouts of praise, with cries of intercession. When we pray, let's plow deep in our hearts to open up our spirits before the Lord so he can do a work and transform us and put in the seed of righteousness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Words of David Wilkerson, he said of the Puritan preachers of the 1600s in England, the Puritan preachers, seeking to purify the church from corruption and religiosity and get back to the Bible. He said of these Puritan preachers, I do not agree with all of the Puritan doctrines, but I love their emphasis on holiness. These godly preachers called their sermons deep plowing. They believed they could sow true seeds of faith until the soil of their listeners' hearts had been deeply plowed. The Puritans made sure their preaching went deep, cracking all the fallow ground of their listeners. Charles Finney, born 1792, 
the most renowned evangelist and preacher of the Second Great Awakening in America in the 1800s called the Second Great Awakening. The first one took place in the 1700s. The 1800s, such a tremendous move of the Spirit of God in the eastern states that were settled by that time. Tens of thousands were swept into the kingdom and the churches multiplied. Finney was the great evangelist who preached the eastern states from the slums of New York to the suburbs of Philadelphia. Finney was saved at age 29 years of age and began preaching in the 1830s. Quote, One of Finney's notable and controversial techniques was to single out known sinners by name and to urge, virtually demand, that they repent. When one large congregation failed to produce any converts, he indignantly rebuked and dispersed them. They went home furious, but he called them back the very next evening, and they accepted the Lord in large numbers. Finney also developed the anxious seat. The anxious seat. Special benches placed at the front of the gathering for people considering the call to the Christian life. You want to be a Christian? Come to the anxious seat. Tremble at the words of the Lord. Tremble at your lost condition. Tremble at your own heart and call upon the name of the Lord. Plow your heart. Plow your heart. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break open the ground. We're not talking about coming to the house of God and scratching the surface. Come and sing along. Enjoy the moments. We're talking about some deep plowing where we break open our hearts before the Lord so we can change our lives from glory to glory and Christ can dwell in our hearts by faith. Number three, <clears throat> plow the word. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. God doesn't want us to be ashamed in our knowledge of the Bible. He says a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Those words, rightly dividing, were used of somebody plowing a straight furrow in a field. Just a plowboy. In the word of God. God says, I want you to learn how to plow a straight furrow in the word. In all manners of doctrine. In all manners of teaching. In all manners of Christian life. Finances and worship and prayer. Christian family. Whatever area it is. I want you to be able to cut a straight path through the word. So that there can be harvest in your life. We are not those who follow Excessive doctrines, fanciful interpretations, misguided extremes. We cut straight paths in the word. That's our desire. And we must plow in the word of God. Plow the word. Under the preaching of the word, plow the word this morning for your own life and heart. We plow by memorizing the word, by reading the word, studying, making notes, highlighting, memorizing. Musing on the word, meditating on the word. <clears throat> We're plowing that word of God. 
There is no book that will produce like this book. This book is soil. And this book is seed. And the two go together. We must plow in the word and we must plant the word of God. We sow and we harvest the word of God. Plowing the word, plowing the harvest, plowing the word of God, cutting straight paths in the word. I'm thankful for the men and women who gave us the great word of God, the scriptures. <clears throat> I'm thankful for Moses and Samuel and the prophets. We are indebted to men and women of the past. Thankful for Jesus Christ and the gospels and the message of the gospel. For the apostles of the Lamb, for the apostle Paul and other writers of the New Testament gave us the great scriptures that we can have them in our hands, this great gift of God. There is no soil, there is no seed in this life that produces like kingdom soil and seed. Plow in the word of God. I'm thankful for those who, in centuries gone by, paid the price that we could have the scriptures. Those who translated the scriptures into our languages so that we could have the word of God at our fingertips and for our heart. Centuries when the common people were denied the scriptures. There were many centuries after the first century, first few centuries where the word of God was taken captive by the clergy, by religious leaders and not given into the hands of the people. One of the translators, John Wycliffe, I'm going to give you two names that you know. John Wycliffe in the 1380s translated from the Latin and gave the English people God's word and how thankful they were, but heresy hunting religious authorities eventually banned his translation. Others alongside him and into the 1400s that were persecuted and martyred because they dared to try and put the word of God into the hands of the common people. Then William Tyndale in the early 1500s, he fought for our liberty. He was refused permission to translate the word of God into English. A written prohibition composed by English clergy a century before, 1408, Quote, forbade anyone to translate or even read any parts of vernacular versions of the Bible without express Episcopal permission. Of course, Tyndale was refused. He retorted to a scholar of his day, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life, Ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scripture than thou dost. I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life, ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scripture than thou dost. A boy that drives a plow in the natural and in the spiritual, how much more in the spiritual? Tyndale had to flee England to Germany in 1524. He labored furiously, translating direct from the original Hebrew Old Testament and Greek New Testament. And by 1526, his New Testament was circulating in London. 
The Bishop of London ordered all copies to be seized and burned at St. Paul's Cross. But these were soon replaced and copies continued to circulate. Tyndale spent the rest of his life as a fugitive. In 1535, he was betrayed to the authorities and imprisoned for 16 months in a dreadful prison near Brussels. And on October 6, 1536, he was, on the orders of the Holy Roman Emperor, tied to a stake, strangled, and then burned. His immortal words, worship team, come. If God spare my life, ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know the word of God. Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow, and turning back is fit for the kingdom of God. No turning back. Let's plow in hope. Let's plow our hearts. Let's plow the word of God. Are there any Jesus followers in the house this morning? Any people wanting to follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Let's stand and give our attention to the Lord. Let's take a few moments as we close out this service Let's plow our hearts. Let's plow in hope. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe vision has fallen. You're in the place between seed and harvest. Put your vision back on the Lord. Put your spirit back in his word, in his call upon your life. Plow in hope this morning. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Whatever God has before you, plow in hope, plow in expectation. Know that God is not a man that he should lie, but the word of the Lord will be fulfilled to those who do not faint, but walk forth in the will of God. Plow in hope, plow your heart this morning. Open up your heart. Maybe it's been a long time since your heart has been torn open in the presence of God and you've cried out to God out of the depth of your being, Lord, be my salvation, be my helper. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be delivered. This morning, let's plow the word for a few minutes as well. Plow the word. Take it in this morning. Take in the scriptures. Maybe some word that the Holy Spirit has highlighted this morning. A scripture that he's put on your heart for this for you today. Take it. Receive it. Plow your heart to receive the word of God. Just a plow, boy. What a privilege we have. Hallelujah. No turning back.